you have within you more love than you could ever understand. There is a place within your heart which is brimming over with love. Sow the seeds of love and you'll be rewarded with the most incredible feeling of love dancing in your heart by Rumi. Hello and a warm welcome to another episode of Sun Gems podcast. We continue our GFP discussions on how to mindfully and intentionally create happy classroom or home environments for little humans. Once again, I'm joined by the amazing ambassador, expert and creator of the Glinda the Good, Frizzle the Fantastic and Pattern the Powerful Method of Education, Barbara. Hello, Barbara. How are you? Hello, Matthew. I'm very well and very happy to hear you this morning. Now, Matthew, did you press the record? Yes, I did. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. That's the first note now on the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. In today's podcast, we will discuss what can be one of life's biggest challenges, both at home and in the classroom. How do we love the children in front of us? And how can we understand and teach to what motivates them? Barbara mentored me in both these areas, which helped with my approach and ability in working with children, both small and large. I'm waving the Sun Gems magic wand of wonderful energy. So breathe deeply, relax those shoulders, open your heart, and put a rock in the basket for engaging with today's episode. I'm going to begin by sharing one of Barbara's GFP rocks in the basket moments that shows the power of the rocks in the basket practice, loving the children in front of us and truly understanding their motivation. It is one of my favorite and most memorable moments of seeing Barbara in action. A girl in her class got extremely upset about her spelling test result. She stormed out of the classroom, slammed the door, balled her spelling test, threw it in the trash can by the picnic benches, and then went sobbing into the restroom. She was distraught. In similar instances, I have seen teachers behave in many ways. They can be upset that something they care about, a spelling test, has been destroyed, that a student has left the classroom without permission, that the student slammed the door and disturbed the quiet of the classroom. A teacher's response in a similar situation could be one of frustration or anger. Barbara's response was genius. She carefully took the spelling test from the trash and unraveled it and smoothed it out. She calmly went into the restroom and lovingly brought the student back to the classroom. She spoke to the true motivation behind the action. Angela, put a rock in the basket because I see you care so much about your spelling. This was an important moment in my use of rocks in the basket. I began to implement the same kind of noticing with my children. This kind of care and attention has a wonderful effect on the classroom environment. Children can relax and breathe, knowing they are being supported, at least for some of the time, at the deepest levels. We are being authentic with them, being mindful of them. Barbara. How did you become this understanding and loving with your students? How did you learn not to take it personally and see the true motivations behind students' actions? It's very interesting you ask, how did I learn not to take it personally? 
that is simply because I looked at, wondered about, stepped way back from the students in front of me. As little humans, I attempted to listen to them, to watch them, to get to know them. When we really know someone quite well anyway, their motivations are clear to us. If I am living in my expectations, my preferences, my goals, my plan, you notice the my, 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 the child actually could be forgotten yeah. because the student may not live up to all of those preferences the parent or the teacher has in the moment. And in that moment, many of us are not aware of all of the pieces of our experiences in life that make us seemingly expect what we do. It is like, I think our last podcast when I said, it's a marvelous thing, a wonderful thing to step back, way back from a situation, discover as much as possible about each person in the situation. What is the motivation? I have a few suggestions for parents based on that question, because I realize we often speak seemingly abstractly, and then it's like, okay, what do I do? I'm in the living room and it's not going well. What can I do? My first one is stepping back. That is the most important and essential thing to do. And then make a list even, a list with your partner, with colleagues, whatever your situation, a list of each child's qualities. What is Jeffrey really like? What does he love to do? What kind of personality, what kind of energy does he have? What does he do repeatedly that I appreciate? What does he do repeatedly that I don't? <laughs> Why? What is the desire in each individual that precedes an acting out? You see, the desire is most often something marvelous, something deep, an integral part of the person's personality, a desire to win, a desire to be noticed, a desire to be heard and appreciated, a desire to be, of course, the big ones, accepted as I am and loved. Once we get to that, then we've gone back many steps from the behavior it can be a free time to think when I'm using the name Jeffrey by chance, it could be any name. When Jeffrey jumps up and down or wants to hit something, what is it about? What is underneath that behavior that I would rather stop often than really delve into the reasons for? Yeah. That list could be magical, really, because anything you say or I say can be done by anyone, anyone who chooses to explore 
some of the things we're thinking about in their own way. You're talking what motivates them. Truly, you're trying to seek an understanding of them, what really they need to express or what's going for them on the inside. What would you be looking for with the child that we mentioned, Angela, in the incident? How did you see that you knew that it was because she cared about spelling so much? Well, I knew I knew her. And that means I had seen her day after day after day through incidents and moods and the changing of subjects studied in school in a way as complicated and as simple as that. It's curiosity. It's open-hearted, open-minded curiosity with a desire to find the good, with a desire to be authentic, and with my motivation, which is to care and love each individual in front of me. And as soon as that intention was established in me and my attention was given to it fully, the magic happens. It happened. Then it's easier to get to know individuals who are very, very different from me. I noticed with hundreds of parents, children, their children were sometimes very like them in delightful, marvelous ways. And sometimes their children were so different from them. That is when things often are more difficult. Parent has to, or can perhaps realize the way things worked for the parents, it isn't working for my children. They're simply not like me. Then the work, the curiosity begins. You mentioned it, you can react. I had this experience and we had to have a meeting with the parents where we can react to the way a child is. I had three students in my class and they had a very much, it was a love triangle. And one of them used to feel left out when two played together, they were left out. The way they reacted, reacted with me. And I wasn't, let's just say I wasn't fully accepting of them. And I wasn't aggressive, but definitely the parents sensed the child wasn't being accepted in the class. And we had a meeting with the director and you, myself and the parents, we went through everything that was happening and their fears of what could be going on. And Basically, we came out of the meeting and we went back to the classroom together and you said, Matthew, you just have to <laughs> learn to love her. What would you say to a teacher or a parent? What do you look for to love? It was my reaction to what she was bringing up in me. What do you say to both the, the parent or teacher in that situation to their reaction, what they're reacting to, and then what to look for in the child? They're reacting to their own feelings, their own mental attitudes, the moods they brought to the situation before it happened. It's very, very natural, very, very understandable. And that is very much the first important step because in accepting 
the natural fineness, really, commonness, understandableness of their reaction, that dissipates their defensiveness. We get defensive when people argue with us quickly. That leaves space for a deeper conversation from everyone. It's not hard to present that because all of it has to do with one's own authenticity. People who do not talk like you and I, Matthew, necessarily about education or have a background in child development, when they look at me, they sense where I'm coming from. It's just like little children. And if I'm coming from some autocratic, authoritarian, or arrogant position of, I'm an educator, I know, it's gone. It's lost. It's ridiculous also, basically. Whether they can say it or not, they sense not just the content, but the meaning. That opens space for a kind of honesty that is very, very helpful in looking at all of the qualities of the individuals involved. And then again, let's make light of it. Let's, it's one incident in 10,000, and there will be more. Bringing in a big perspective that brings smiles to people's faces also dissipates my reaction is the true one attitude that someone might bring to the table. Because when you think of it in terms of one in 10,000, one in 30,000 incidents, you have to smile and think, <laughs> oh, why am I getting so worked up over this one? Yeah. And, and that, too, can bring then space for humor and a smile. It's like a basic embrace of the situation rather than reacting to it, just embracing it. And also I found that with a child that is very emotional and reactive like that, rather than rejecting them, like getting defensive, if you accept and embrace them, and that doesn't have to be physical, but obviously with certain children that can be, just embracing them and accepting the energy does seem to dissipate and calm down. Very much. Oh, very much, Matthew. And one of the most marvelous, marvelous things about teaching children is they are all actually, actually very unique. To learn to support, get to know and somewhat understand a child that is reluctant to speak, that follows very, very easily other people is definitely, of course, that's important, but as difficult sometimes to understand and encourage and support as the little person who has to be first every single time, who has to win. That's a rather extreme range and everything in the middle. And it is so much fun really to wonder, to find out and accept. We all know if we think in our lives of times when we felt we loved someone and how different we feel just about everything, I feel as if 
it's a glimpse. It's just a glimpse and a clue into how wonderful life can be if we can open our hearts. Yes. Mm -hmm. You saying that, are there any practices that you can do to open your hearts to the little humans that we're having difficulty connecting with in front of us? What would you personally do in that situation? It's what we have spoken about. The practices I worked with every single day, constantly, all go together. I think I've said it maybe, I don't know how many times. It's a tapestry. Yes. I'm looking for anything wonderful, a cloud in the sky, the wind blowing. Then, of course, a child's generosity, a big smile, the end of a conflict, and put a rock in the basket, put a rock in the basket, notice, 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 see what is around. At the same time, children in a classroom with me were writing about I choose happiness. What does it mean? When do I do it? When did I do it today? Keeping a journal of things to be happy about. Jot down five things to be happy about right now. What could they possibly be? All of that creates what we have referred to as an environment that can support the unique goals, motivations, personalities of the children. That for me is how it was done during the classroom. And then at home, I'm a meditator. I'm just curious (laughs) about everything in life when it comes to human development. I try to keep learning. I tried to do that with my colleagues in every school I was a part of. It's beautiful. You're learning to be more, well, we're learning to being more loving. That's a practice in and of itself. When we talk about love, it can seem like, oh, it's just a word, but truly loving someone and being there for the children in front of you, it's, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know, Barbara, it's like... I think I, think I do, Matthew, and I think it's, it's about the release without even thinking about it of our expectations, our preferences and our desires. Even a small awareness of why am I expecting the student or my son or daughter or whoever it is, why am I expecting that? Where does that come from in me that I just want that to happen? I won't move until it does without even knowing it. It is asking those questions of ourselves with real honesty. And then again, with some laughter, sense of the absurd, everything else and a big perspective, because it isn't about finding some terrible thing in me and drilling down on it, because what will come from that is guilt, anger, shame. It won't be happy. It won't work. It's a fine art, really, and very difficult to take responsibility for our own realizations without the cruelty of blame. And yet, 
with full responsibility. It's all of those things. There are many people now, and always really, who write, do podcasts about human behavior, human motivations, and seeking out all of these wisdom teachers is very interesting thing to do because most of the famous ones are available free on the internet. And one can listen to Eckhart Tolle. One can listen to Buddhist teachers. One can listen to Pema Chodron, the Dr. Gabor Mate. It's endless. In each of their takes on everything, one will resonate, one will be appealing more than another, and they follow an investigation. This is a tremendous gift of the technology available today for parents and teachers. There's so many different voices and so many mm-hmm. different methods, and one will resonate more powerfully, definitely. In my experience, you just follow the inspiration and you'll find something that is yes. tr- true for you. And once you can practice that truth for yourself, if it makes you feel good, you can share that goodness or you can share that love. Yes, yes. And it's a very delicate process to know when it makes me laugh because during the years I was a teacher, I was really good at it. And now and now I am no longer a teacher. And I notice the carryover in attitudes in my personality <laughs> with with people. I think I'm really doing a good job finally in learning to say, Barbara, you are not the teacher, not remotely the teacher. Yeah. Because people feel the way they feel, do what they do, think what they think. And many people are not interested in any of the kinds of exploring that you and I are, Matthew. That has to be simply accepted and we just go forward in the dance of life. Yes, I think being <laughs> as accepting as possible is the best way to go. What, well, it is, it is, Matthew. And I remember one mother who was, you would know who she is. She was wonderful and very strong. And she looked at me one day and she said, Barbara, you've got to know everyone does not want what you're sharing. I thought, oh, in my exuberance and my happiness over discovering all these things, I'm being too heavy-handed. That is another opportunity to learn. Feedback is a miracle. Often adults are reluctant to give it because, well, never mind because, they are reluctant to give it to another adult and they will simply leave a school acquiesce in person to your desires, and then they will leave. I experienced that several times. It's simply true. Adults are just as delicate and sensitive, even more so sometimes than small children. They need to be looked at with love, caring, curiosity, sensitivity to see who they are and accepted as they are. That's part of being a teacher 
always for me, it was communicating as authentically and happily and wisely as I could with the parents. Yes, definitely. And understanding where they're coming from, what their motivations mm -hmm. are. We had children that would come to the school that you could see the challenge they faced. It seemed to me that they'd been in an environment that was a lot more judgmental. They would come in very closed and suspicious. You would see in this environment that was more caring and more child-based and centered on them, they would start to open up and there would be, it's almost like a surprise for them that they're in this environment where they're cared for. Did you see yes. that? Yes, I see it there and I saw it many, many times in simple ways, sometimes in very dramatic ways. One wonderful little girl arrived in my class and she actually had a tick of suddenly raising her hand to her cheek, unmotivated seemingly by circumstance. She didn't want to say anything. She was one of the brightest, most verbal, capable students I ever got to know. And she had been in a terrible environment with way too much authority, fault finding and criticism, and she was sensitive and aware. I don't remember how long it took, but actually not very long, a month maybe, two months, little by little, she just became her free, marvelous, inquisitive, excellent self. That was a dramatic one. A little boy who was very gifted, really intellectually, came into my class. He was refusing suddenly to do anything that the teacher in his other school asked him to do. And it became such a huge problem that the mother and father had to come in and me. It was very emotional and very challenging for, in this case, the mom and the dad. What the child wanted to do, I can see him right now. He was amazing, this boy. He wanted to play. But with all that high-level intelligence and concentrated effort, he would do nothing else. I could see how much ability he had. I said to the mom and dad, really, would you allow me to allow him to really do what he wants? And of course, I'll explain to the other children this is going on because he needs this right now. With the kind of atmosphere we created, that was understood. They said, okay. Within a very short time, he is not playing anymore over on a rug or something. He's like eagerly listening and memorizing completely everything that's going on with every subject there is. Though, those are two very wonderful moments. And what they say is to a teacher or to a parent is a huge amount of trust in the goodness, the ability, the desires of the people in front of us. I trusted the little girl I gave the example of, and I trusted this little boy. 
more in the moment than anyone else did, just in that moment. That gave permission for everything else to happen. It's that holding out for the goodness that I think we spoke about at the very start of these podcasts. The complete acceptance of who they are mm-hmm. and, know, and knowing yes. that if they have motivation, intelligence, and ability, they're going to strive to achieve something, but they don't always want to be told exactly what to do. We all react to being told exactly what to do. It's Well, sometimes the bureaucracy inherent in many schools, not just public, not just private, not just charter, it depends on the human beings running them and working in them, but they often get caught up in their own love of their own plans, their own importance. It is simply ridiculous. It is detrimental to the spontaneity that is, and the curiosity and the love that needs to be present for all of these wonderful plans to work. Teachers will think, oh, if he's playing, if I'm just letting him play, what are the others going to think? What are the other teachers going to think of me? We should be doing whatever it is. If one is able to create an environment where there is transparency and there is real collegiality and there can be argument, wonderful argument over ideas and diverse ideas accepted, all of that goes away. There is space for the individual unique plan for each child. As you're saying that, I'm thinking it would be very hard for a teacher or parent in these circumstances when they're being told that the child has to learn this thing. Should there be a conversation with the child or with the parent or the teacher saying, look, I understand that this seems ridiculous. If you're just pushing, pushing, pushing the child and not giving them the whole story, it just creates more reaction. What would you do in that situation? The truth is, Sometimes there's very little that can be done. Sometimes there's a great deal that can be done. It depends entirely on the teacher, the principal director, the atmosphere, and then, of course, the personality of the individual teacher. For example, my daughter, your wonderful wife, Colette, (laughs) our great professor, when she was a little girl, she had a teacher in second grade that placed her in, quote, at that point in time, was called the top reading group. She was getting stomach aches and crying. I realized there was no talking to that teacher, none. However, my father was well acquainted with the principal. I made her some cookies a couple of times. My father talked to the principal. (laughs) (laughs) who talked to the teacher in a sweet way. It was not, I did not report it. And he did not report it as if we want to get rid of this person. Nothing like that. I wanted more understanding. I had a talk with her on the phone and very gingerly and carefully, 
I asked her if she would please put Colette back into a lesser reading group because she was bringing pressure on herself. I didn't say the teacher was bringing the pressure, which of course she was, <laughs> but I said it that way to get things done. Sometimes there's one voice in the child's life, a tutor of some kind who really knows that the child should not be doing worksheet after worksheet on the multiplication tables when he can do calculus, but the bureaucracy says he will do this. I think the way to look at it most positively and most authentically is this is just another situation. It's another group of people. Whatever your corporation you deal with, whatever your field, you excel in yourself as a parent, take a look around. You know very well there are a couple of people there that probably are difficult. School is no different. Deep honesty, a light touch, and a careful negotiation can go a long way. Other than specific cases, I would have a lot to say. Yeah. But in general, I think that's more than enough, Matthew. Is there anything else you can think of about opening your heart, acceptance, loving the little humans in front of you? Is there any? Well, I can, I can, I can, Matthew. And it is a poem. Oh, called I Am Full of Love Tonight by Hafiz. And I will read it. And I came upon it with great joy. And it was because you named our podcast Sun Gems. And I would never have come up with that. And yet I am a great lover of the sun and of gems. <laughs> and so this speaks to that. It's really for you, Matthew, and of course for everyone in the world, because like the poem you read, love, love, love is the beginning, the middle, the end of everything. I am full of love tonight. Come look into my eyes and let's go off sailing, my dear, on a long ocean ride. This world will not touch you. I will keep you snug upon my seat. Let's plot to make the moon jealous with a radiance leaping from your cheek. I will be full of love tonight. Come look into these ancient eyes. And let's go off sailing, my dear, with our spirits intertwined. Your body is just an old sandbar in a speeding hourglass of time. Love will turn the mouth of sorrow right side up. Let your heart commence its destined laughing chime. Hafiz will be brimful of love tonight. Why ever be shy? Come look into these playful eyes of my verse. They are eternally branded, branded with the sun. Isn't that glorious, Matthew? There's no words <laughs> that can follow that. I know. I know it's so I know. special. Hafiz, oh. everyone should read Hafiz and not think of him as a Sufi yes. or anything else. Just think of him as a beautiful poet. I think if everyone could embrace those thoughts that there's truth in all of these teachings and to look for the yes. similarities, that's, that's loving. That's loving. Yes. 
Yes. All right, that was so perfect, Barbara. So, oh, Matthew, good. So perfect. We've open-heartedly come to the end of another wonderful discussion with insights and gems galore from Barbara. Join me in putting a rock in the basket for Barbara, you the listener, and for me for coming to the end of another fabulous episode. Materials are once again available on our website, sungems.live, to support you in the practices and methods we've discussed. We encourage you to send in your questions or insights to us at onesungems at gmail.com. That's numeral one, S-U-N-G-E-M-S at gmail.com. We look forward to reflecting with you. Thank you for listening and engaging with our program. Join us next time for another wonderful episode of Sun Gems Podcast. Peace and love be with you. Lots of love.